fellow saints, and welcome to Come Follow Me with Brother T. We are going to cover 2 Nephi chapters 31 through 33. And these are Nephi's last words to his people and to us. And it's an interesting parallel because I started this podcast a little over a year ago in the wake of the COVID restrictions. And I was following along with the Come Follow Me calendar. So I started in Jacob chapter 1 at the time, and that was in March. The restrictions kept up for a long time, and I was actually called to a new calling as the ward mission leader. But I was so far into doing the Book of Mormon that I wanted to continue, and that made me want to continue all the way until I had done the full Book of Mormon. So as I cover the final writings of the great prophet Nephi, I feel the same type of closure in that with this episode, I've covered the entire Book of Mormon, and what a great body of scriptures it has been, and the themes and the teachings and the doctrine and the testimony and the spirit that's been filled has been marvelous to me, and I hope it has been to you as well. I appreciate all of you who have listened to this podcast and really encouraged me to complete the whole Book of Mormon, and I feel like it is a great record for my kids and for anyone else who's listening to it out there who wants to dive deeper into the Book of Mormon. So with that, let's go to 2 Nephi chapters 31 through 33. Nephi goes back to the basics of the gospel, or what he calls in verse 2, the doctrine of Christ. And this is what Elder Holland said. He said, although a phrase like the doctrine of Christ could appropriately be used to describe any or all of the master's teachings, nevertheless, those magnificently broad and beautiful expressions spread throughout the Book of Mormon, New Testament, and Latter-day Scriptures might more properly be called the doctrines of Christ. Note that the phrase Nephi used is distinctly singular. In Nephi's concluding testimony, and later in the Savior's own declaration to the Nephites at his appearance to them, the emphasis is on a precise, focused, singular sense of Christ's doctrine. Specifically, that which the prophet Joseph Smith declared to be the first principles and ordinances of the gospel. And of course, we know that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are found in Article of Faith 4, where it says, we believe that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, and fourth, the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. The very first thing that Nephi writes about is baptism, and specifically about Christ's baptism. In verse 5, we talk about why Christ was baptized. He says, And now, if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized by water to fulfill all righteousness, oh then, how much more need have we, being unholy, to be baptized, yea, even by water? And then in verses 5 through 9, he makes the case for why Christ did in fact need to be baptized. And in verse 7, he says it's to show humility in obedience. And part of that obedience is to repent, which of course Christ did not need to do, but we need to do that. In verse 8, to receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 9, it was to set an example. And how important that is for us, right? That we know the gate by which we should enter because he set the example. And then in verses 10 through 12, I love how he says this. He said unto the children of men, follow thou me, wherefore my beloved brethren, Can we follow Jesus, save we shall be willing to keep the commandments of the Father? And the Father said, Repent ye, repent ye, and be baptized in the name of my beloved Son. 
And also the voice of the Son came unto me, saying, He that is baptized in my name, to him will the Father give the Holy Ghost, like unto me. Wherefore, follow me, and do the things which ye have seen me do. Elder Robert D. Hale said, Born of a mortal mother, Jesus was baptized to fulfill his Father's commandment that the sons and daughters of God should be baptized. He set the example for all of us to humble ourselves before our Heavenly Father. We are all welcome to come into the waters of baptism. He was baptized to witness to his Father that he would be obedient in keeping his commandments. He was baptized to show us that we should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. As we follow the example of Jesus, we too demonstrate that we will repent and be obedient in keeping the commandments of our Father in heaven. We humble ourselves with a broken heart and a contrite spirit as we recognize our sins and seek forgiveness of our trespasses. We covenant that we are willing to take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ and always remember him. Nephi continues on in verse 13 to talk about how we need to approach repentance and baptism. And in verse 13, he says, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, Joseph B. Worthland said, do we indeed actually live the gospel or do we just manifest the appearance of righteousness so that those around us assume we are faithful when, in reality, our hearts and unseen actions are not true to the Lord's teachings? Do we take on only the form of godliness while denying the power thereof? Are we righteous, in fact, or do we feign obedience only when we think others are watching? The Lord has made it clear that he will not be fooled by appearances and he has warned us not to be false to him or to others. He has cautioned us to be wary of those who project a false front, who put on a bright pretense that hides a darker reality. We know the Lord looketh on the heart, and not on the outward appearance. Verses 13 and 14 talk more about the gift of the Holy Ghost. and It talks about baptism of fire. And Marion G. Romney said the importance of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is beyond expression, it is the baptism of fire referred to by John. It is the spirit birth of which Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. So when we talk about this baptism of fire, what we are talking about is a cleansing. Lynn A. Mickelson said, Through the atonement, the Savior, giving himself as a ransom for our sins, authorizes the Holy Ghost to cleanse us in a baptism of fire. As the Holy Ghost dwells in us, his purifying presence burns out the filthiness of sin. As soon as the commitment is made, the cleansing process begins. In addition to that, we have to be baptized by fire. We have to receive the Holy Ghost, or the baptism by water means nothing. In fact, the prophet Joseph Smith taught, you might as well baptize a bag of sand as a man, in done in view of the remission of sins and getting of the Holy Ghost. Baptism by water is but half a baptism and is good for nothing without the other half. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We are baptized by immersion in water for the remission of sins. We must also be baptized by and immersed in the Spirit of the Lord, and then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. Verse 13 also talks about speaking with the tongue of angels, and we'll go deeper into that in the next chapter, so hold on to that. Verse 14 is a warning about rejecting the baptismal covenants. It says, But behold, my beloved brethren, thus came the voice of the Son unto me, saying, after ye have repented of your sins, and witness unto the Father that ye are willing to keep my commandments by the baptism of water, 
and have received the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and can speak with a new tongue, yea, even with the tongue of angels, and after this should deny me, it would have been better for you that ye had not known me. In fact, brothers and sisters, it is very important that we do as it says in verses 15 through 16, and endure to the end. Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, When I was a young boy, endure to the end meant to me mainly that I had to try harder to stay awake until the end of our church meetings. Later, as a teenager, I linked it with youthful empathy to the efforts of our dear elderly members to hang in there until the end of their lives. Enduring to the end is not just a matter of passively tolerating life's difficult circumstances or hanging in there. Ours is an active religion, helping God's children along the straight and narrow path to develop their full potential during this life and return to Him one day. Viewed from this perspective, enduring to the end is exalting and glorious, not grim and gloomy. This is a joyful religion, one of hope, strength, and deliverance. Enduring to the end implies patient continuance in well-doing, striving to keep the commandments, and doing the works of righteousness. So what has the Lord given us to help us along? He's given us the Holy Ghost. He's given us commandments. He's also given us the scriptures. This is what Nephi says in verse 19. He says, Ye have not come this far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Brothers and sisters, he has given us the scriptures. He's given us the Book of Mormon and the Bible and the Doctrine and Covenants and the words of the prophets in latter days as well. So what are we to do with them? In verse 20, it says it very specifically. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward feasting upon the words of Christ and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. This is the way, brothers and sisters, as he says in verse 21, and now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way. And there is none other way nor name given under heaven, whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. So this is the way, and we know that the way is to have faith in Jesus Christ, repent of our sins continuously, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost, and endure to the end. So now, after we're baptized, what is next? Let's talk about that receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and speaking with the tongue of angels. Verse 2, he says, Do ye not remember that I said unto you that after ye had received the Holy Ghost, ye could speak with the tongue of angels? And now, how could ye speak with the tongue of angels, save it were by the Holy Ghost? So that the Holy Ghost is what helps us. Boyd K. Packer said, Nephi explained that angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, and you can speak with the tongue of angels, which simply means that you can speak with the power of the Holy Ghost. It will be quiet. It will be invisible. There will not be a dove. There will not be cloven tongues of fire, but the power will be there. And of course, the best way to speak by the power of the Holy Ghost is to feast upon the words of Christ first. He says, angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore, I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do. Henry B. Eyring said another simple thing to do which allows God to give us strength is to feast on the word of God. Read and ponder the standard works of the church and the words of living prophets. There is a promise of help from God that comes with that daily practice. Faithful study of scriptures brings the Holy Ghost to us.
Verse 4 explains how to understand the scriptures, and to do so, we have to put forth an effort. It says, Wherefore, now after I have spoken these words, if ye cannot understand them, it will be because ye ask not, neither do ye knock. Wherefore, ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. So, in other words, it is on us to ask the Lord for help in understanding the scriptures and to keep studying them over and over until we begin to understand them more. And I love how it says in verse 5, that if ye receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what ye should do. Elder Spencer Condy to a group of youth said, You may be facing decisions about a mission, your future career, and eventually marriage. As you read the scriptures and pray for direction, you may not actually see the answer in the form of printed words on a page. But as you read, you will receive distinct impressions and promptings, and, as promised, the Holy Ghost will show unto you all things what you should do. Verse 6 is interesting because Nephi is talking directly to his people and not to us necessarily because he says that this is the basic doctrine and no more doctrine will be given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And he's talking to his own people there because after he manifests himself unto them, in the flesh, then he will give more doctrine. And we have that doctrine. And actually, the rest of the Book of Mormon has that doctrine as well. And as we get to know that doctrine and study it, we have to pray about it. This is what he says in verse 8 and 9. And now, my beloved brethren, I perceive that ye ponder still in your hearts, and it grieveth me that I must speak concerning this thing. For if ye would hearken unto the Spirit which teacheth a man to pray, Ye would know that ye must pray for the evil spirit teacheth not a man to pray, but teacheth him that he must not pray. But behold, I say unto you that ye must pray always and do not faint that ye must not perform anything unto the Lord, save in the first place ye shall pray unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. James E. Faust said, When God placed man on the earth, Prayer became the lifeline between mankind and God. Thus, in Adam's generation, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Through all generations since that time, prayer has filled a very important human need. Each of us has problems that we cannot solve and weaknesses that we cannot conquer without reaching out through prayer to a higher source of strength. That source is the God of heaven, to whom we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. As we pray, we should think of our Father in heaven as possessing all knowledge, understanding, love, and compassion. Continuing on about the word in chapter 33, in verse 1, Nephi says he cannot write everything that he wants to write and laments that when we speak, we can speak by the power of the Holy Ghost and it carries it into the hearts of the children of men. And writing doesn't always have that effect. David A. Bednar said, Nephi teaches us when a man speaketh by the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost carrieth the message unto the hearts of the children of men. Please notice how the power of the Spirit carries the message unto, but not necessarily into, the heart. A teacher can explain, demonstrate, persuade, and testify, and do so with great spiritual power and effectiveness. Ultimately, however, the content of a message and the witness of the Holy Ghost penetrate into the heart only if the receiver allows them to enter. And I remember many times on my mission where I testified and my companion was testifying about the Book of Mormon or about Joseph Smith or about Jesus Christ. And 
he and I both felt the spirit strongly, and we asked the investigator how they felt. And I specifically remember one time, and the investigator looked and goes, yeah, it's kind of cold in here. I think I'll turn up the heat. <laughs> and it, it crushed us a little bit, right? But the truth is, is that we are given agency. And even if they do feel the Holy Ghost, they don't have to admit that they do. We should be cautious of that, however, and make sure that we are able to feel the Holy Ghost when it is speaking to us today. And we have to do that by not hardening our hearts. In fact, in verse 2 it says, But behold, there are many that harden their hearts against the Holy Spirit, that it hath no place in them. Wherefore, they cast many things away which are written, and esteem them as not. Gordon B. Hinckley said, We must get our teachers to speak out of their hearts rather than out of their books to communicate their love for the Lord and his precious work. And somehow it will catch fire in the hearts of those they teach. And of course, those they teach are those who are willing to learn. In verse 3, Nephi exhorts us to read his words because they're of great worth. And he prays that we will take it into our hearts, especially that his people will take it into their hearts. And verse 4 describes what he has written. He says, he persuadeth them to do good. It maketh known unto them of their fathers, and it speaketh of Jesus, and persuadeth them to believe in him, and to endure to the end, which is life eternal. On the flip side, verse 5 says, And it speaketh harshly against sin, according to the plainness of truth. Wherefore, no man will be angry at the words which I have written, save he shall be of the spirit of the devil. So, we need to embrace the Book of Mormon, and we need others to embrace it. If they do not embrace it, that's the spirit of the devil. And then we move in to verses 6 through 9. And 6 through 9 is very simple. I glory in plainness. I glory in truth. I glory in my Jesus, for he hath redeemed my soul from hell. And I have charity. Remember, charity is the pure love of Christ. For my people and great faith in Christ, that I shall meet many souls spotless at his judgment seat. And I have charity for the Jew. I say Jew because I mean them from whence I came. I also have charity for the Gentiles. But behold, for none of these can I hope except they shall be reconciled unto Christ and enter into the narrow gate and walk in the straight path which leads to life and continue in the path until the end of the day of probation. So he has charity for everyone, basically, the Jew and the Gentile. Everyone, whether they're of the house of Israel or not or whether they're adopted in. But he has no hope for anyone who is not adopted into the house of Israel. He doesn't want to stand there in front of the judge and testify against him for what he's written. And he pleads again in verse 10 that we should believe in Christ. And if we believe in Christ, we'll believe these words because they testify of Christ and they will teach us how to do good. In verse 11, Nephi's words are Christ's words again. Okay? And this is divine investiture. This is a prophet of the Lord speaking as if he were the, the Lord. And he says, And if they are not the words of Christ, judge ye, for Christ will show unto you with power and great glory that they are his words at the last day. And you and I shall stand face to face before his bar, and ye shall know that I have been commanded of him to write these things, notwithstanding my weakness. Remember, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my prophet, it is the same. President Benson said, Our main task is to declare the gospel and to do it effectively. We are not obligated to answer every objection. Every man eventually is backed up to the wall of faith, and there he must make his stand. And if they are not the words of Christ, judge ye, said Nephi, 
For Christ will show unto you with power and great glory that they are his words at the last day, and you and I shall stand face to face before his bar, and ye shall know that I have been commanded of him to write these things. Every man must judge for himself, knowing God will hold him accountable. And if we look back, you got to remember that Jacob and Moroni, and I say look back in this podcast, not in the Book of Mormon, it's forward in the Book of Mormon. But Jacob and Moroni made similar comments in Jacob 6.13 and Moroni 10.27. And then in verses 12 through 15, Nephi gives his final farewell. And he hopes to see us, but if we reject this words, he will testify against us. He says very poignantly, And I pray the Father in the name of Christ that many of us, if not all, may be saved in his kingdom at the great and last day. And now, my beloved brethren, all those who are of the house of Israel and all ye ends of the earth, I speak unto you as a voice of one crying from the dust. Farewell until that great day shall come. And you that will not partake of the goodness of God and respect the words of the Jews and also my words and the words which shall proceed forth out of the mouth of the Lamb of God, behold, I bid you an everlasting farewell, for these words shall condemn you at the last day. For what I seal on earth shall be brought against you at the judgment bar. For thus hath the Lord commanded me, and I must obey. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you my testimony as well, and the final testimony of this series of the podcast, that I know that Christ is our Savior, and that He gave us these scriptures to study, to know that we might feast upon them, that we can speak with the tongue of angels. And I know that as we study the scriptures and dive in deeper and deeper and deeper and really get to understand the doctrine of Jesus Christ, it will not only bring us joy, but it will bring us closer to our Father in heaven and qualify us for eternal life. And that is all possible because of the atonement of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He loves us and he wants us to return to him. And I know this to be true. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, brothers and sisters, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm grateful for your comments and your encouragement. If you have any more comments or questions or concerns or any thoughts at all that you would like to share with me, I would appreciate it. My email is drjaredthomas at gmail.com and my phone number is 916-412-2136. Text message is great. Thank you again and have a blessed day.